Welcome to the Future of Protein Production Podcast. In this series, we will explore the technological advancements that are shaping alternative proteins. From cultured meats to plant-based proteins, we will talk to experts and innovators who are working towards a more sustainable, efficient, and kind protein production system. Join us as we dive into the exciting possibilities and challenges of the alternative protein production industry in the years to come. Okay, welcome to the July-August edition of Protein Production Technology International. Uh, and today we're joined by Bruce Bennett, who is the President of Ingredients at Benson Hill. Bruce, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. Thank yeah. you very much. Excellent. And as a company, Benson Hill specializes in um, agricultural technology and plant-based food innovation uh, with the aim of developing sustainable and healthier food options by utilizing cutting-edge science and technology. Now, before we delve into Benson Hill, though, can we have a brief overview of your journey into food and, and I guess, uh, more specifically, food tech? Sure. Well, thanks, Nick. So I've been um, working in this space for close to 30 years prior to joining Benson Hill. I spent uh, the bulk of that time at a large agricultural manufacturer where um, I focused on specialty ingredients and building out high-performing growth platforms and Inclusive within those verticals um, covered things like nutraceuticals, fibers, emulsifiers, and specifically um, the global protein business, and that spans soy, pea, and other specialty grains. So um, had a lot of experience and exposure, but also had the opportunity to see all of the uh, emerging trends and opportunities over the past several decades that impacts our industry today. Okay, we're going to move on to the, the company itself now, Benson Hill. Could you provide me with a, an overview um, of the processes that you're using to develop um, plant-based proteins? I mean, what are the key steps involved there? Sure. Well, at Benson Hill, we're a food technology company. Um, and Nick, as you know, our, our mission is to set the pace of innovation in food. And we do that um, through leveraging um, our genetics, specifically our technology platform called CropOS, and that OS stands for Operating System. And the key there is that as our CropOS system is kind of guiding us in our development of our variety, um, we first start with consumer insights or customer insights on challenges that the industry might be facing or immediate needs that might be impacting um, the food system today and feeding that into our CropOS models to understand how can that capability from a genomic level um, help guide our development of our varieties to solve some of these solutions or to provide solutions to some of these problems. And I think a key of where we're focusing, Nick, is that we're more um, zeroing in on output traits or downstream traits that can affect food ingredients. How can we manipulate um, those to bring um, value to the food system as opposed to just simply looking at how do we increase yield um, and and bring um, value to the production side. It's more of a downstream opportunity that we focus in on. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of alternative proteins, um, you've been actively involved in R&D efforts to create um, protein ingredients for the food industry. What's your take on how the market has evolved um, recently and the, and the demand for alternative proteins in, um, say, the past for sure. Well, I, I think even it goes beyond just a couple of years. I mean, this goes back to the to the very early stages of my career when we were seeing 
um, some real mega trends impacting the development of the plant-based protein landscape, whether that's things like the 2050 story with population growth or um, the drive for more convenient foods or rise of the flexitarian or urbanization. I mean, the megatrends are many and they've been sustained and that has helped fuel the momentum um, for a long-term trend in just additional accessibility and viability around the capabilities of plant-based protein. And you've seen um, over the course of time in working with a broad base of different applications, markets, and customers, the industry respond. Um, certainly innovation is a very big part of that, but in stepping back and understanding how innovation has um, evolved, you know, you've seen in the 60s um, certain extrusion types of processes to develop protein products, then in the 70s and 80s, various isolation processes to develop higher protein ingredients, and then in the 90s, uh, new development with um, products like crisps going into nutritional bars. But over the last probably 20 years, all of the development continues to leverage those same process technologies. So there hasn't been a lot of innovation around process, which is why it's exciting with Benson Hill and our innovation that we're looking at the front end of the system and developing better varieties from the beginning to leverage the current chassis, but do so in a much more efficient manner. And that's developing higher protein beans, for instance, that can then produce more valuable output um, on the ingredient side. Okay, well, let's move on to those um, products more specifically and what Benson Hill offers the industry. What types of um, sources do you focus on for protein development? Are there any specific uh, varieties that show promise for high quality protein extraction? Well, for sure, as a company, um, and certainly if you look at the broader plant-based industry, we started with soy. Um, that, of course, has been the key driver for you know many, many decades. Um, and we've had um, tremendous success. I think one of the biggest challenges with soy over the last 20 years is the focus has been on yield development as opposed to quality protein development. And over time, you've seen yields improve, um, but at the same time, you've seen protein levels continue to drop. And in fact, um, over the last couple of decades, you've seen um, soybean proteins um, drop by over 10% during that time. And so that's having an impact on availability um, for uh, protein manufacturers. And it's been a challenge that you know, we chose to address. And by growing higher protein soybeans, we're able to use those same type of processing techniques to produce high value, high protein ingredients, and in many cases, eliminate downstream processing steps, which contributes to a better cost efficiency, but also a much more sustainable platform for developing soy proteins. And we have a number of products ranging from high protein flours to high protein textured products um, that are being actively used today um, that we're excited about. I mean, what are some of the unique features or, or characteristics of um, your plant-based proteins that differentiate them um, from other alternatives on the market? I mean, how do they compare in terms of uh, taste, texture, and functionality, for instance? Well, certainly our initial goal is to look at how can we impact the food system in a more sustainable, focused manner. Um, that certainly underpins everything that we do at Benson Hill. Uh, we want to uh, set the pace of innovation in food by not only providing high quality, great tasting, highly functional soy protein ingredients, but we want to do so in a way that 
impacts the environment and reduces greenhouse gas emissions and water usage, for instance. And by leveraging our ultra-high protein soybeans uh, today, we're able to produce very similar products to what are currently on the market, but with 50% reduction in greenhouse gases and 70% reduction in water usage. So um, we're not only bringing um, very functional, great tasting ingredients, but we're doing so with another value proposition around sustainability, which is actually desired by many of our customers like Kellogg's and their Morningstar Farms line, which we've announced uh, in the past, because they have their own sustainability goals and they can leverage our ingredients to help them not only make great tasting downstream um, food products, but do so much more sustainably. Right. Yeah, I guess it's uh, everybody in that supply chain has got to be meeting their exacting standards. Um, now, I believe that you uh, uh, employ a closed loop ingredient model, which goes back to the genetics of the seed. Um, so could you tell me a little bit about that and, and why vertical integration um, is so important and what benefits that offers? For sure. And I, I think that's a great question. And it really goes to um, a, a critical differentiator for Benson Hill as a company, because historically a big challenge with trying to develop um, through traditional breeding um, downstream output traits like higher protein or better tasting um, ingredients through um, improved uh, varieties. Um, the challenge has been that it's hard to get past the farm gate. Um, you need to be able to demonstrate to your farmer partners that um, it is uh, for them valuable to grow these type of traits. And it's not necessarily a yield benefit for them, but that there's a better margin potential for them. And to be able to integrate um, and elongate this supply chain and break down the barriers from the farmer to the farm gate, to the processor, to the food company, there's opportunities to manage that margin across the supply chain and redistribute that effectively so that the farmer can benefit, so that the processor can benefit, and so that the downstream CPG or food manufacturer can also benefit. Historically, that's been a, a challenge because you've seen this supply chain have these barriers because it's been broken up across the industry. By us connecting them, we're able to ensure that um, those economics flow freely and that the benefits of the genetics are properly explained and and pulled through the uh, the supply chain. When you look at some of the other benefits there, you've got sustainability, you've got integrity of supply and traceability and the ability to deliver consumer quality traits in a cleaner label. Um, focusing on sustainability, we'll unpack a few of these. What are the specific sustainability considerations that Benson Hill takes into account in the production of your proteins? How, for instance, do you address um, the environmental impact and resource efficiency? Well, I think stepping back and, and, and talking a little bit about, you know, the fact that we are a vertically integrated closed loop, um, the first thing that we have access to are farmer partners. And they're a critical piece in this process and that we're able to manage and collect all of the data that is associated with their production. And that's very critical as we're assessing sustainability impact that we can offer as a service to um, our partners downstream in the food side who require that data to help um, demonstrate sustainability impacts and benefits. Secondly, um, it's the soybean variety in this case itself and how we're um, developing better beans from the beginning um, with better output traits, whether it's higher protein or whether it's uh, lower sugars that can impact flavor 
all of this is happening um, and we're enabling that with mother nature doing that heavy lifting as opposed to downstream processing and by having that done in the ground where seeing that um, um, employed we're able to eliminate processing steps we're able to eliminate building expensive plants we're able to eliminate water usage and energy usage that's necessary historically to remove or eliminate some of these um, elements like sugars um, to be able to get to the same endpoint with the proteins. We're doing that with our soybean varieties. And uh, moving on to integrity of supply and traceability, I mean, people are choosing plant-based alternatives uh, for a variety of reasons, from reducing their carbon footprint, conserving natural resources, um, minimizing the negative impact of animal agriculture on the environment. So in that regard, sustainable and ethical considerations are key. And this is clearly something that drives a lot of your work at Benson Hill. It does. And and again, this goes to our relationships with our farmer partners. And um, as we have focused specifically around U.S. grown, non-GMO ingredients, um, our relationships with them are critical um, because we're working with them to ensure the integrity of our closed loop model. But also um, it, it guarantees that we have that visibility um, to manage the quality, to manage the production all the way through um, to support our downstream um, food partners as they're um, developing better food for industry. Um, the other thing is that it enables us to assure that we're meeting certain certifications around the world. For instance, um, many of our varieties are Proterra certified, meaning they've undergone very rigorous um, reviews um, with global standards around identity preservation, around non-GM status, et cetera, specifically deforestation. That's very critical. It's, it's critical here uh, in the U.S., but um, even more so around the world where government regulations and, and oversight are, are being ratcheted up to ensure that um, products are, are produced and grown sustainably and ethically. So um, we feel like our closed loop model enables that uh, and we take it very seriously. Yeah. Um, your ability to deliver um, consumer quality traits in a cleaner label. Now, how, how do you ensure the nutritional quality and amino acid profile of your proteins? Are, are there any specific techniques or methods employed to optimize these attributes? Well, I think this goes back to um, leveraging the power of OS system. Um, there are billions of data points that um, it is monitoring, tracking, and continuing to um, evolve to produce better varieties that address um, consumer traits and downstream nutrition. Um, I think one of the things that we put a lot of focus on is ensuring that our products are great tasting. And one of those ways is by eliminating um, certain oligosaccharides or sugars like raffinose and stachyose that contribute to um, flavor impact as well as gut distress or um, other challenges that, that you would see with um, oligosaccharides um, within your diet. Um, by eliminating those, we're able to more efficiently and easily um, produce ingredients that, that can be incorporated in food. And at the same time, um, we're also able to label many of our products as um, soy flour as opposed to soy concentrate, which in some cases um, can be viewed as more label friendly by the consumer. Now, I know that you view plant proteins holistically at Benson Hill, proteins for human consumption, um, animals, livestock, for instance, including pets. Um, so pet food, is that a big market for Benson Hill? 
So we're seeing a lot of potential with pet food, and um, it's an area that we're starting to put significant focus around, not only in working with customers, but also looking at how can we incorporate some of our new and evolving ingredients into studies to understand its impacts uh, in the pet food segment. Uh, we already have a fair amount of, of work and success in the aquaculture industry in Europe. Um, we've talked a lot about that and, and how we're um, delivering um, our protein ingredients into specifically the salmon and trout industries. And we're seeing a lot of transfer um, into the pet segment. But um, a big um, trend that has been ongoing for over a decade is this idea about, you know, pet owners um, becoming pet parents and how they almost um, look at their food for their pets um, even more critically than they do for themselves. And and so we're certainly um, cognizant and aware of that. But because of the trends that mirror, you know, pet that you see in human, a lot of what we do in, in, in the human side directly transfers over to the pet side. So we're creating a lot of opportunity to create more nutritional um, ingredients for the pet segment. Um, one of the challenges certainly with pet food is that they're very cognizant around their cloth structure. Um, and they currently use a lot of soybean meal in their diet rations. Um, that can become a limiting factor for them to be able to add more protein just because of um, other um, elements that are associated with soybean meal. Um, because we can produce higher protein um, right out of the gate with our UHP and our own ingredients, it enables um, pet food companies to use more protein within their formulations so that they can produce a higher quality diet for pets. Well, I am a pet parent and I have a Labrador. Uh, and even more specific, I have a silver Labrador and she is very, very um, fussy about her food and also prone to getting illnesses and, and allergic reactions to certain things. So we've got to be very well, careful what we're feeding her. <laughs> and and I think um, we talked earlier about, you know, oligosaccharides and its impact in the human stomach and, and how certain sugars can cause discomfort. You know, that certainly is a very similar type of situation with pets. And so as we've developed our varieties to, you know, be lower in the specific sugars. Um, it's a benefit not only to pets, but even in some cases to their pet owners. You certainly don't want your dog to to have an upset stomach. So and anything that you can do from a diet standpoint is probably welcomed. Yeah. Um, similar topic. I mean, one of the key challenges in plant-based pet food development is ensuring proper nutritional balance. I mean, how, how would you contrast that challenge with pet food to the, the human food sector? Well, in stepping back, um, the key, I think, with um, with how we're viewing the pet segment is that we want to assure uh, we've got the highest quality protein um, with the lowest level of sugars possible, and that's been our strategy. Um, we've had a lot of success in, in early studies that demonstrate that that improves the viability of including, um, you know, more protein in the diet, and, and we feel that that's a strong strategy for us to pursue. Okay, final question now, Bruce. Um, what do you think is, if anything, is standing in the way of companies and consumers embracing alternative proteins? I mean, there's a there's a, a 1.3, 1.4 trillion dollar um, meat market out there, and, and alternative proteins don't currently take up much of it. So, what needs to change? Yeah, so it's kind of an interesting question because um, over the last probably 30 years, um, one of the, the the biggest areas of, of protein consumption has been 
in tandem um, with the meat industry. Um, I think um, the way we view um, protein um, uh, adoption and acceptance is that, you know, it's not necessarily an either or when it comes to plant-based or meat-based. It's how do you improve food? How do you deliver higher quality food? And certainly one way of doing that is through um, plant-based foods. Um, another way of doing that, and this certainly appeals to many flexitarians, is how in tandem um, can proteins work together? And we've seen how supplementing you know, a meat formulation with a soy protein can actually improve succulents um, and sensorial qualities uh, because of moisture retention that occurs when you include soy protein along with a meat protein. Um, we've seen in uh, beverage um, industry um, protein blends that maximize the uptake of whey protein along with the satiety effects of a soy protein in tandem um, can be very effective and valuable for the consumer. So um, long-term, it's as long as um, food tastes good, as long as food has high nutritional value, and as long as it's meeting the sustainability requirements of the consumer, um, we see those as, as reasons to believe in continued growth for the protein industry. I mean, it's an exciting dynamic industry. It's certainly really interesting to cover it from a, an editor's perspective. Um, any final thoughts before we sign off? Well, I think one of the, the, the things I wanted to point out about Benson Hill that is really exciting for me personally after um, having spent the bulk of my career in kind of the traditional realm of, of processing is that um, we take very seriously um, our mission on how we intend to set the pace of innovation in food. And it's extremely cool for someone who comes with a deep processing background like myself um, to be able to walk up a couple of flights of stairs and sit with the Crop OS team as they're um, managing and manipulating their plant science, data science, and food science through AI capabilities and, and developing food through that type of a lens to sit back and, and talk through from my perspective as an operator, you know, how do we marry these capabilities to have dynamic and, and, and major impact on food? And it's not necessarily what can we do, it's what should we do? And those types of um, questions that, that, that we review together and the outcomes that we think through um, are really exciting, um, but also are showing how you have this intersection of technology tools along with genomics, along with trends under plant-based. That's truly, really exciting and why I get up and come to work every day. It's just the start as well. It's just the start. <laughs> Look, Bruce, thank you very much for, I know you're a busy man. Um, thank you very much for uh, spending half an hour with us this afternoon. It's uh, really nice to meet you. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Future of Protein Production Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and knowledge about the innovative technologies and practices that are transforming the way we produce protein. Don't forget to subscribe to Protein Production Technology International, our multimedia magazine, and follow us on social media to stay up to date with the latest news and updates. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes.